The Greg Scheinman Podcast is brought to you by Inns Group Insurance. Inns Group Insurance and Risk Management. Inns Group is ensuring success. And also, Rose Studios, endurance, strength, and mobility equals perfect fitness. Visit rosestudios.com for more information. On the Greg Scheinman Podcast today, I have Jonathan Horowitz as my guest. He is the CEO for Legacy Restaurant Group in Houston, Texas. These guys own and operate the original Nymphazon Navigation and the Antone's famous po' boy sandwich concept. He's a former practicing attorney. He's gone on to become a public relations, marketing, advertising, and business consulting specialist in the hospitality field. Prior to Legacy, he was the chief brand officer for Lasco Enterprises, which is the parent company of the Tasting Room Wine Cafe, Max's Wine Dive, Anejo Tex-Mex, Flow Juice Bar, and Boiler House Texas Grill and Wine Garden. Currently, he is also serving as the board president for the Greater Houston Restaurant Association, so we're going to hear a lot about that. We're going to hear a lot about his plans for growing the Antones brand, as well as the original Nymphas concept. On the Greg Shaman Podcast today, Jonathan Horowitz, CEO, Legacy Restaurant Group. Let's do it. Tell me a little bit about how you got started um, in, in your career. How this how this works for you? Sure, it's kind of a roundabout way. Uh, I grew up in New Hampshire and um, lived there until I was eighteen and went off to college. And I ended up coming here to Houston uh, to go to Rice. And I actually went to Rice on a golf scholarship and uh, played golf at Rice. I was there for five years and loved it. Loved every every minute that I was there. Had a, had a blast. And um, figured out pretty early on in my collegiate career that uh, I probably wasn't going to end up playing professional golf, you know, as a as an occupation, which is what I really thought I was going to do. Um, since probably I was ten or eleven years old, I had designs on playing golf as a career, and I did everything from that point forward through college or through the beginning of college to kind of headed down that path, played nationally, got out there, you know, dipped my toe in in various things in the golf world and got to college and realized that, you know, I enjoyed doing other things. And I kind of looked around and saw where I was in terms of comparing myself to other players and things like that. And uh, realized pretty early on that I was probably not going to make a career out of it. And um, so I went through my uh, collegiate career and tried to figure out what I was going to do next. And I knew I wanted to stay in Houston. I really, I mean, I I love the city. Um, And so I ended up going to law school and I went to South Texas uh, Law School downtown and uh, spent three years there, clerked on a court of appeals and then got a really uh, nice job in a large law firm. Uh, downtown Houston, which I did for about five years and maybe five to six years. And again, um, at that point, I kind of looked around and sort of took stock of where I was and and uh, what the future sort of looked like if I had stayed in that path. And I pretty well figured out that I didn't want to be an attorney forever um, for the rest of my life. So And part of that was the kind of work I was doing. Part of it was sort of looking at older partners in the, in the firm where I was and kind of taking stock and saying, you know, do I, 
is that what I want yeah. to be? Mm-hmm. Is that going to be my life? Do I, do I want to be that guy in 20 years? You know, and um, I was coming up on 30-ish in terms of age. Uh, and I determined around that time that I wanted to try to find something else to do. And it was one of those moments or times where you kind of look around and say, okay, well, what do I like? You know, and, and you read the books and you, <laughs> you talk mm-hmm. to people and say, okay, well, is there anything out there that you really like? What do you like? And, uh, at that point, you know, I was doing a lot of wine collecting. I grew up in a family that really appreciated food and wine. Um, although nobody in my family had ever really been in the restaurant business or the wine business. Uh, but my dad was a wine collector and, you know, after I got out of college, I, started collecting wine and I traveled to the wine country and, and did things like that. So I kind of said, you know, is there something I can do in that world, in, in the food and beverage world that, you know, might be uh, good for business and that I something I could pursue. And so fortuitously and um, coincidentally, right around that time, um, my later business partners, Jerry and Laura, had just opened the original tasting room uh, in Uptown Park in Houston. And I had gone in once as a customer (laughs) to check it out and see what it was like. And um, I thought it was really cool and it was interesting and it was was new and it was small. Um, And I got to thinking, you know, I said, well, maybe that's something that I could kind of look at and see if I could somehow be involved in that business. And that was opened in September of 2003. Mm -hmm. And about a year later is when I met Jerry for the first time. So it was the fall of 2004. And I literally, after I'd gone in as a customer, I literally got his business card and sent him a cold call email and said, hey, I was in your place the other night. I thought it was pretty cool. This is who I am. This is what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. I'm currently working in this law firm, but I'm looking at trying to make a change, you know, um, trying to, and I've always been interested in food and wine. Maybe we can get together and talk and maybe there's something I could do, you know, to get involved in this business. And I, I, I recall actually saying maybe I could come and shadow, you know, for some shifts and just kind of see how it works and get an idea of what's going on and and how Mm -hmm. you do things. And he responded and said, yeah, let's, you know, have a glass of wine. We'll talk. In that first meeting, we got together and we spent two, two and a half hours, you know, we really hit it off. And um, at that point, I, I would, what I didn't realize, but at that point, Jerry and Laura were looking at second location. They were talking about franchising. Um, they were, and Laura was not at that point involved in the business. So it was kind of Jerry on his own and they were looking for somebody else to come in and potentially help them grow and look at franchising and opening more locations and things like that. So. You know, I said, that's interesting. And and I went back and we went back and forth for a good six months um, figuring out how we could work together and and what that would look like. And um, I was married to my first wife at the time. And, you know, she had a good job. She's also an attorney, ironically. And, um, you know, we talked it over for many months and came to the conclusion that I was going to kind of take this leap, leap of faith uh, to some extent, and kind of jump off the cliff. And in June of 05, I left the firm, 
you know, where I was working. And the next day I was in a deal and basically a bar owner at that point. And uh, we hashed out a deal and I bought part of the company. Obviously, it was very, very small at that point. And uh, it was kind of the ground floor. And we started in the summer of 05. We just just opened the second location in Midtown. And uh, we started on the path of growing the business and, and working on the business. And, you know, obviously, as you know, very small business just kind of starting out. Everybody does everything. Mm-hmm. And um, we did everything from the operational side of things and marketing and PR and HR and insurance and everything. We all we all kind of did everything, whatever whatever needed to be done at that time to kind of keep things going and, and um, make the business grow. And that's what we did. Um, and we did that. You know, I ended up doing that for 10 years with, um, you know, with Jerry and Laura. And during that time, we branched out, opened more locations, opened different concepts, uh, including the Max's Wine Dive concept, which is still going strong. Um, different restaurant concepts and things like that. And I kind of changed, I guess, with the times. And for a long time, I really focused heavily on the PR, the marketing, the media relations, um, and and really kind of in that genre of, of making the business go where Jerry ended up focusing a lot more on the operational side of things. That's interesting though, because you, you were the lawyer, you were more the corporate guy <laughs> yeah. com, com, coming in. It's, it's true. Um, although I have always found my, my own personality and just kind of my lifestyle and, and personality really lent itself to the relationship side of things. Um, Jerry and I were very different in that regard. We were, we were personality wise, we're very much on two ends of the spectrum. Um, he was a military guy, um, very, you know, headstrong, kind of charging ahead, just, you know, bust the door just down. We're going, we're going nuts. Right. And I was always kind of more the relationship. Let's work this out kind of guy. Um, more the touchy feely and the softer mm-hmm. side of things. And so we complimented ourselves, you know, each other quite nicely in that regard. Um, and so I, I gravitated more towards what I called relationship marketing, partnership building, all of those things. And that actually worked really well for us for many years. And we needed that as we were growing um, and getting much larger. Um, towards the end, I guess in years seven, eight, and nine or so, I moved more into development, operational type things, and also um, you know, kind of construction oversight. We were building lots of new locations. We were traveling around, doing them in different cities, different states. And uh, after a while, I kind of gravitated more towards uh, that development side of things. As we had backfilled with other people in the office, as our corporate office got larger, and they were handling the marketing, the PR, and all that, which allowed me to kind of go and do the development stuff, mm-hmm. uh, which was very interesting. And, and ironically those experiences really turned out to be invaluable as I got to my current position with legacy restaurants where we're doing all kinds of construction and renovations and building and looking at expansion. And 
you know, at, at this point, which is really nice, I've kind of been there and done that um, and mm-hmm. kind of know what it takes to um, follow that process and, and bring something to fruition uh, in terms of development and new opportunities and new locations. So I guess now from, you know, June of 05, it's we're coming up on 12 years um, mm-hmm. in this business. And in those past 12 years, I haven't really practiced law at all, <laughs> which is interesting because <laughs> um, that's, you know, it's kind of what I was trained for. While I haven't actively, you know, practiced it or signed, you know, my name to anything in a legal manner, I use that. I use sure. that education, I use that background and, and that way of thinking pretty much every day. I mean, it's unavoidable. And I think a lot of that thought process and methodology really has been extremely beneficial just on a day-to-day basis in terms of dealing with business, running a company, dealing with people, um, managing you know, negotiations and deals and because uh, we're looking all the time at mm-hmm. leases and contracts and, and things like that. So it definitely comes in handy. But. Let, let me take you back a little bit um, to that initial decision that you made to leave the law firm and then take that leap of faith. So you had the conversation at home. Yeah. You kind of worked it out on the home front. Okay, we can afford this or here's how much time. or here's Yeah, I didn't have kids at the time. Mm-hmm. So that, that was a factor as well. Always helpful. Yeah. <laughs> yep. In the decision making process yeah. is yeah. now we're okay. For sure. We got, mouth, we got mouths to feed and things to, other things right. to consider. But you get up in the morning, you made the decision at home. You got to go put the suit and tie on, go to the law firm and you got to go tell these guys I'm done. Right. That kind of stuff fascinates me and, and interests me because you got to go there thinking as much as I don't want to be this guy, maybe in 20 years, what if this may be the worst, this may be the worst decision I'm making or how many people in here are going to now tell me I'm absolutely crazy and I'm throwing away my future and, and maybe you're on partner track and all of these other things. Take me through that kind of moment. Cause again, I'm just, I'm always fascinated and in, in, in interested in, in people that, they got the balls to just do it. Say, okay, I'm going in. I'm going to make a very unconventional decision or an unconventional move right now, but I believe in it and I'm going to go do it. Well, it, I actually remember going into the managing partner's office to have that conversation. It's a very uncomfortable conversation um, because I had I had actually changed law firms. I had gone from a the, the big firm where I had started. Um, I'd been there five plus years. And again, kind of around that time, kind of trying to figure out what I wanted and wasn't sure of things. I, I thought to myself, well, maybe if I go to a smaller law firm, I'd be happier, right? Yeah, you're you trying know? to like it. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to like it. Maybe, maybe if I change the environment, change the people, the expectations or whatever it is, maybe I'll be happier. And I had only spent probably about six or seven months uh, at this at this smaller law firm. And they had, you know, they had kind of taken a leap. They, they had put some faith and stock in me and, mm-hmm. and brought me on. And of course they had expectations of me doing good things and being there for a long time and all that. So I walk into the office, you know, six, seven months later and say, Oh, by the way, you know, I've, I've had this change of heart and, and I'm making a, a career changing decision. Um, you know, I'm, I'm leaving to go be in the bar business. Yeah. 
And um, I definitely got some reaction of, you know, do you do you have any idea what you're doing? Why, you know, uh, is this stable? It's a it's kind of a startup, and it's in a very difficult and volatile industry with a high failure rate, et cetera, et cetera. And so, you know, you certainly have that feeling after the initial kind of shock wears off. And you're like, okay, well, here we are. So what do we do now, right? Let's hope this works. Um, you know, it's one of those where you kind of get to the point where failure is not an option. So you say, okay. And, you know, we, we were three people, basically a, you know, a husband and wife couple and me and pretty much sinking everything into the process. So you really don't have the option to fail. You've got to figure out how to make it work. And we, we absolutely, you know, went through very lean times um, where things were up and down. I mean, for the first two years that we were doing it, Jerry and I paid ourselves $24,000 each. I mean, that was it for two years uh, until we could, you know, get to a point where we mm-hmm. could afford to pay ourselves a market type salary. So it it's stressful. It's it's definitely stressful. And you know, on the flip side, you're theoretically doing something that you really enjoy. It's a different lifestyle. Mm-hmm. It's so there are trade offs. Um, I joke with people all the time. They say, "Why? You know, what made you decide to do that?" And I always joke. I said. Well, I wanted to work harder and make less money. So, you know, there you go. I'm working harder and making less money. But it's a trade-off. It was, it was a lifestyle trade-off. And, uh, you know, we were, we were very fortunate uh, in many ways that the concepts were good ones. You know, they caught on, um, got to be popular, allowed us to expand, um, and, you know, kind of took advantage of, of being the right place at the right time mm-hmm. uh, to some extent. Um, and you know, it's, it's still going. And we talked about that even a little bit before, you know, we, we, we started the actual show about concepts, what, what works and, and, and what doesn't, you know, and the difference between a successful concept and maybe an, an, a concept that doesn't, doesn't make it. But I mean, we've both been involved with concepts and seen concepts that, theoretically look great, you know, and, and should be great. And for whatever reason, they, they don't, they don't make it. What's your, you know, what's your take on, on, I guess, on, on those factors? I mean, and you, you know, your involvement with some that, you know, may have hit and, and others that may have missed and, and what you see and, and, and a little bit of the, of the why, if there is a way to pinpoint it, I mean, Probably not, because if you could pinpoint it, nobody would ever, you know, sure. not not succeed. Well, it, but it's, it's it's like playing the market, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, everybody wants to buy at the bottom and sell at the top, but nobody knows where the hell those two points are. And mm-hmm. t- you know, I mean, no, you don't know. So, you know, there are there are very successful concepts that were on the cutting edge of a trend that they may not have even known that it was going to be a trend, but it just happened, and you know. That's fantastic. It's a little bit of good luck. It's good planning. It's good research. Whatever it is, if you kind of get right at the tip of that spear, you're going to do really, really well. There are other concepts that kind of remake something that's tried and true. And in that regard, you know, for those types of places, if you have really good management, if you have a great location, um, if you're a really good operator, if you've got enough money behind you to capitalize the thing so you can, you know, deal with any challenging times, things like that. 
you're going to be good because you know that the concept itself is tried and true and it's worked before. Um, can you build a better mousetrap? That's great. Um, mm -hmm. You know, we're seeing it now with, we were talking about burgers. I mean, you know, there's another craft burger place every day that's opening somewhere. Yep. It's not like the hamburger is any different. Um, it's just the environment in which you're getting one. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's really, it's really that simple. Nobody's created a different The way they wind you up, the way they sit you down, yeah. the way they, they do it, conceptualize it, marketing, PR, social, I and mean, so many factors now that, that didn't and even exist before. And that's because they're creating this, these cult followings. You look at Shake Shack, you look at In-N-Out, you look at Hopdotty, you, you know, all of those types of places, they, they are creating fans not necessarily because they have done something new with the hamburger. There's only so much you can do with the hamburger. Uh, but they're creating uh, an environment that people want to be a part of and, and a lifestyle and kind of that cult-like following. And, and it works. Um, you know, this industry in particular, as everybody, you know, everybody knows how challenging it is, a lot of people don't know everything that goes on behind the scenes. And it's always a surprise to people when someplace that looks like it's great and it's always busy and all of a sudden it closes. Mm -hmm. They're like, what, what, what happened? Where, you know, I, I hear it often. They say, how can that place close? It was busy all the time. Well, it's kind of the tip of the iceberg. You, sure. you know, you don't see what's going on underneath mm -hmm. the water. And the lease was bad. The no, operations the were bad. bad. The cost was, People they, are stealing. Mm -hmm. You know, you, you have bad operators. You've got your scheduling's bad. Your costs are horrible. All of these other factors mm -hmm. that go into it. And eventually, if you're not running it properly on the back end, you're just going to run out of money. It doesn't yeah. matter how busy it is. You talked about brands that you know are successful and they're and they're building these followings and they have built these followings. Take me through also how. You made the transition for yourself, though, from Max's and Tasting Room, brands that you are part of building up and that are, that are obviously doing, continuing to do very, very well. But you've now moved on to Legacy Restaurant Group, which, are, which consists of another couple of iconic brands, which you were not involved with, with, right. the, with the starting of. Um, and we're talking about the original Nymphas here, and we're, and we're talking about Antone's, Bow Boys. Uh, Tell me about that decision to go over there and then what intrigued you about those two brands and taking them from, from where they are, where they were when you got there to, I can do something here. Okay. There, there's some place yeah. I want to go with this. It's, it's, it's very interesting actually. And I've had now, it's been about a year and a half. So I've had a little bit of time to kind of create a little bit of, of hindsight and, and looking back and. Mm -hmm. Um, it's a very, very different situation. It's, it's really quite interesting to me. Um, the Antone's po'boy concept started in 1962 and the original Nymphos on Navigation started in 1973. So obviously they've been around a while. They are very well known. They are really, really well associated with Houston and history. Uh, generations of Houstonians and visitors, you know, have spent time uh, at these two brands. So <laughs> I'll, I'll get to kind of getting into the process and, and making changes. But, you know, the, the overarching and overriding feeling that I had coming into this was 
just don't screw it up. <laughs> I mean, you know, do something really good. Try to improve what's existing, but just don't mess it up because people are extraordinarily passionate about these brands. They're very opinionated about these brands. And if you change one little thing that is not to their liking, you're going to hear about it. I mean, you really do hear about it. So both of these brands, interestingly, they're not connected in any way. Um, obviously, now there's common ownership. But over the years, both of them grew a lot. And then and both were family run. And then both brands right around the same time fell on financial difficulties and both went into bankruptcy right around the same time in the early 2000s. And the gentleman who owns Legacy Restaurant Group, who I work for, his name is Neil, and he was part of the group of business people that was involved in the bankruptcy and some restructuring in, in, in both, both concepts. And right around 2005, he ended up buying both of the brands um, out of bankruptcy. And so for about 10 years uh, until kind of the middle of 2015, he had various people and groups trying to run those concepts for him. Uh, Neil is not a restaurant guy who's not in the business in any way, uh, doesn't have any history running restaurants or in the hospitality business or anything. He was a real estate investor. And he was very successful in the real estate world um, and kind of he jokes that he he picked up these two brands kind of as a retirement project. Right. And that was going to be what he was going to do in his retirement. So over those 10 years or so from 2005 to 2015, he kind of cycled through a number of, of different people and he had some consultant groups and they were trying to do certain things. Um, they expanded the original ninfas and added more seats and did some some things there but unfortunately neither one of those companies and those brands was being run as efficiently as they should have been and i think neil recognized that and so when my time with lasco and the Tasting Room and Max's was coming to a close in, in the summer of 2015. Although I still, you know, have my equity stake in that company, I decided I wasn't going to be working there anymore on a day-to-day -day basis. And I had known Neil and I had talked to him a few times over the years and mm -hmm. he had talked to me about, you know, helping out at one point or another. And then I gave him a call and said, you know, this might be a good time for us to talk again. And as it turned out, it was. And so in the fall of 2015 is when I started. And it was very apparent very quickly a couple of things. One, neither one of the brands was being run very well. The numbers weren't good. The bottom lines weren't good. Um, there were a lot of things kind of out of whack. I think they had been neglected uh, in various form fashion over the years. And the second thing I kind of gathered was that in my prior 10 years of experience, even though I was not necessarily the operations guy, I realized pretty quickly that I had picked up enough over the years to be able to identify problems and spot them and say, hey, 
I may not be the number one guy to fix all this. I may not have all the answers, but I can at least identify that there are a lot of problems and here's what we're going to address. And it was basically triage, mm-hmm. prioritization of, hey, there's a lot of things out of whack. There's a lot of things that need to be done. First, let's try to build a team, right? Let's get a, let's get a team together um, and then let's start attacking these things and fixing them, getting the numbers in line, getting these and prepare ourselves to be able to think about growing, doing bigger and better things. But we, we really, I spent pretty much the better part of the first year working on the foundation of things, getting a good team in place, stabilizing, you know, the numbers, getting operations in line. And then now we're at the point where we say, okay, things are working well, things are in good shape. Now let's talk about, you know, expansion and growth and how can we make this even better going forward. So let's talk about that. How can we make it even better (laughs) going forward? Well, I mean, it really comes down to having, number one, having the right people in place. It's always about the people. And I ended up actually hiring a number of folks that had worked for us at Lasco Enterprises over the years. Uh, In fact, I think I've got three of them mm-hmm. currently. And uh, now we're back to our networking conversation. Back to networking. From the very beginning, you know, sure. of, of you know, working your way through an industry, making connections, starting from whether it's cold call, emails, changing, sure. and picking up relationships and people along the way. Well, and, and keeping them and, you know, not, not necessarily burning bridges, mm-hmm. not, you know, and, and, and making sure that you always are treating people properly and, and things like that. So, I think I've got three folks uh, that I had worked with previously, uh, two of which are in the corporate side, and one of which is managing um, the original Ninfas, which is great. And so with a solid team in place, we started really attacking the operational things that needed to be fixed. And a lot of that is done by just attacking the numbers. It's a numbers game. And we looked at things that were out of whack and say, okay, why are we spending on this? Why are our costs like this? What do we need to do? And we started going with vendors and we started, you know, really analyzing. And that's, that's what it takes. And every little bit helps. We dropped, just as an example, at, at Ninfas in the spring, early summer of, uh, of 15, you know, our food cost was 35%. You can't run a restaurant. I mean, it just, you know, and, and everybody wonders, oh, why don't we have anything on the bottom line? Well, your food cost is 35%. So today it's 28%. Mm-hmm. I, seven percentage points in the restaurant business is an eternity. I mean, that that's a huge Well, now you get back to, it, to what you talked about before. Here's a place that's iconic. It's always crowded. Mm. And the people would wonder, well, why isn't it? If, if it had gone away or why isn't right. it successful or well, what, why are we hemorrhaging right here? It, well, it's funny too because we have people all the time. They look at places like that, a bar or a club or a restaurant or whatever and super crowded. And the, and the phrase is that it's always, oh, that place is printing money, right? How many mm-hmm. times do you hear that? That place is printing money. Well, I guarantee you they're not printing money. Um, and we, we were having that experience. I mean, you know, uh, the labor and part of it, on one hand, it's great to have these 
iconic brands that have been around a long time. It's so recognizable. We've had, we've had employees that have been there 30 years, et cetera, et cetera. The flip side to that, the negative side is it is so difficult to make changes because internally everybody is so set in their ways mm. and they're so resistant to change because it's so comfortable. And we fought and we still fight. I mean, literally, I, I'm not not sitting here saying that, oh, it's it's perfect mm. and everybody's kumbaya and it's <laughs> a panacea now, harmony. But there was such resistance to change and we we spent a lot of time trying to break habits and change things. And mm -hmm. it's a very delicate balance where you don't want to come in riding on a horse and say, it's my way or the highway. You know, you're all terrible. This is why you're doing it wrong. There has to be buy-in. You've got to create the relationships sure. and, and you've got to get people on board. And then you have to somehow very subtly get them to understand that it's my way or the highway, you know, <laughs> without actually saying it. Mm -hmm. And we, you know, we turned over a lot of people because eventually if you're trying to put these systems in place and you're trying to do it for the benefit of the business, if they're not going to get on board, eventually mm -hmm. they got to go away. Yep. Look, it's, it's, I think that's, uh, I don't think that's industry specific. No, um, it's absolutely not. You know, and we've had it here at, at Inns Group where, look, we were 50 people when, when I started seven years ago. We're a different firm at 110 people. And when you actually now have an HR yeah, department and right. you have a head of your commercial lines, I mean, changes, changes stuff. When you have people that have been doing things a certain way for, 20 some odd years, if you will, or right. managing their teams and their accounts a certain way. But when you have to put standards and practices together or you want to make changes to be more efficient, more effective, well, it's a challenge. I don't think it's not exclusive to, to hospitality or to the restaurant business, but to your point, it's almost like if you want to make all these changes, why don't you just call it something else? Right. You know, like, <laughs> right. like, well, and that's part of the balance too is particularly with these, these brands that have been around so long, the changes have to be subtle enough that they're really not that noticeable to the public. Because mm -hmm. again, they don't want you messing with their thing that they grew up on. Right. And, and, that, and that's really, really important. Back of house changes versus front of house changes. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, very much so. And, you know, it's funny, you have a, a bit of a, you know, a dichotomy and there's some tension between me saying to you, the customer, I know what's best for you. Mm -hmm. I know what you should want. And the marketplace pretty quickly tells you whether you're right or not. It's tough. I mean, it can be tough. You can say, this is th we're changing this because it's going to make it so much better. And everybody hates it. And the marketplace says, you know what? We liked it the old way. Mm -hmm. And sometimes you have to go back. Well, we've seen a lot of people, a lot of talented people, that are no longer able to perform for a large audience, if you will, because they they took that they took that stance. Yeah, the customer does tell you what they want to eat, how they want to eat it, when they want to eat it, yeah. and they do answer. Mm -hmm. They they answer with with their wallet. Mm -hmm. Well, the marketplace is a very powerful thing in that regard. I mean, you you may feel like you've got all the answers and you know what's going to happen. Um, I'll give you a very simple example. We, in our, our Antone's Po' Boy locations, we had fountain drinks, our sodas. It was always Coca-Cola and mm -hmm. six or seven, whatever it is, five or six different options. 
Coke, Diet Coke and stuff. And last year we decided to put in, we were going to take away the Coke. We were going to put in uh, a high end kind of craft soda, real cane sugar. I mean, you know, technically a much better product, right? It's good. It, it's, it's, and it was, it was actually more expensive than the Coke. It wasn't a cost cutting measure. Mm-hmm. We wanted to make it a better experience. We're going to put in a better product. Well, people were not pleased <laughs> that they, their only option was then some fancy dancy soda. And so we ended up putting back in Coca-Cola product mm-hmm. alongside the new fancy sodas. But I mean, the, the reaction was swift and negative. Well, look, options versus dictating. Are, yes. Then, yes. They, it's, it's all in the perception also oh, and, and, how you, and how you present that. And, and, and the communication of that. Sure. And, 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 and we're chuckling because we've also all been around places um, and, and that they're getting accolades, all mm-hmm. kinds of accolades, all kinds of awards, all kinds of fantastic PR, if you will. But the masses or the it. numbers are, are not there to support it. So yeah. are you telling me that this is the greatest dish of all time and the critics love it and, and I love cooking it and you should enjoy eating it? Right. But unless a number enough people really enjoy eating it, yeah, it's it's a challenge. Doesn't matter. It, do, it mean, doesn't matter. Yeah. We're seeing guys that have also that have right. they they backed some pretty talented artists. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But if they can't grow uh, and or and or pivot or figure right. out a mix right. between what they want to do artistically and what works for for the widest base of, of customers out there, it's 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 tough to make it work. Yeah. Yeah, and and people as it, particularly in this industry, the hospitality, people are very fickle. You know, it's it, I, I've found, and I, it seems like as I think about it more, and, and having been involved in these two longstanding brands, you've got a, a a section of the populace and and of the marketplace that will chase the the new hottest thing, mm-hmm. right? And so it's it's that fickle crowd that goes around and they're only interested in what's new, what's hot, what's interesting. And they go to one place for a while and then they pop to the next one. one. And then you have a decent segment of the population that will never go anywhere, but their favorites, right? I'm, I don't care about any of that stuff that's going on out there. I've got my four or five places. I don't want to even hear about anything else. Mm -hmm. And that, and that's it. And I'm stuck in my ways and I'm happy and don't change it. Right. Don't mess with it. And Sometimes you have to pick which crowd am I going to be in, right? You know, or, or which audience am I trying to play to? Because you can't be everything to everybody you cannot. either. And, no, and, absolutely not. And that that's a that's a fair point. So you've got two iconic brands. You've got Nymphas. You've got Antones. You come into this fired up, energized. You've been at it for a couple of years with them. You've gotten it tightened up, kind of operationally behind there. You're feeling good about your team. Where, where are you taking these brands now? What's the snapshot right. of what Legacy Restaurant Group wants their brands to be? So, couple things. One is we're always working on the product and the processes and the procedures and the people, right? So, all, all the P's. All the P's. <laughs> Never, we're, we never stop working on that. And really, and I, I actually, you know, I highlighted this in some stuff that I've written recently is number one thing is providing great service and great product 
to the customers. That's always going to be number one. So there's still work to be done there, and that never, ever goes away. In fact, ironically, uh, just yeah, uh, Saturday, we, we launched a revised menu at Antone's, right? So we added some sandwiches, improved some products on them, didn't take anything away this time, right? Didn't, didn't mess with it too much, but, you know, always kind of tweaking and trying to make it better um, and provide a better, you know, experience. Um, and now that we're doing that and we're, we're, we're making tons of physical changes to the original Nymphas, I mean, that building has got to be close to 100 years old. I mean, it's been around a long, long time. So we're still expanding. In fact, we've got a construction project going on right now to expand the kitchen again. Um, again, to be able to provide a better product, better service. So we're still working on those things that exist. At the same time, we are working on leases. Um, we've got one lease signed for a new Anton's location, a, a full-size restaurant. We've got another one. In fact, I got the lease back from the landlord, their draft this morning for another one downtown. Uh, we're opening more Anton's kiosks. That's kind of a, a different concept that I actually came up with last year to do a grab-and-go kiosk. We've got one in the food court um, over here at a, a Greenway Plaza, the, mm -hmm. the building complexes. And we're putting another one in the downtown area in the tunnels. Um, just kind of an offshoot of the concept, but it's a way to get a little bit more revenue and then have some broader reach. Um, so we are really looking to expand in a thoughtful and organic way um, to broaden the reach of the Antones brand, uh, which means we'll have to increase headcount, do a good job with training and hiring, etc. And then on the original Ninfa side, um, we are actively, actively pursuing the next great location for the next original Ninfas. And that process has been going on for a year and a half. And that's a lot trickier. Um, it's a much bigger footprint. It's a much bigger undertaking. And it has to be perfect. I mean, it has to be absolutely fantastic. Um, because we're not going to do many of those. Mm -hmm. The Antones brand is more built for larger growth. And, it's built and for speed. Units. You can yeah. scale that and you can scale Right. Mm -hmm. It's in the fast casual, you know, world and um, less, you know, uh, money that it takes to, to open each one. The next original Ninfas could be the last original Ninfas. I'm not sure. Mm -hmm. um, but we want to find a really, really excellent spot for that and do a really, really cool next incarnation of the original Ninfas. Um, we've kicked around ideas of doing, you know, a, a different sort of sister concept to Ninfas. Mm. Um, but I just don't want to get too distracted with other stuff right now. Um, I think that kind of organic, well-planned growth is the way to go right now. Um, and we'll see what happens. I mean, Neil's 75 years old, so I don't know exactly what, you know, his plans are for, for the future. But uh, at this moment in time, the idea is making everything that we have currently better and taking that and putting it into a measured growth plan for the two brands without messing them up. 
<laughs> we could go on for for hours, um, and we could talk about food. We could talk about dishes. We could talk about the state of the industry. All that. Um, you've been you've been a <laughs> state of the industry is very interesting right now. Ab- yeah. abs- absolutely, and you've been uh, you've been a great sport on this. My team and I truly enjoy working with you and and your team. Uh, it's fantastic to see what you've done to invigorate the brands and and the company. Uh, and wishing you all all the best and success on it. And when we do part two of this, we will get into the state of the industry, your yeah. involvement with the Greater Houston Restaurant Association as acting president. So yeah. I'm going to hold you to a part two on yeah. this. Um, but you've been great, and we're going to keep it to what we said we're going to keep it to <laughs> right now. And. Um, Awesome. Jonathan Horowitz, Legacy Restaurant Group. Thank you so much for being part of the Greg Shaman Podcast. I appreciate your time. The Greg Shaman Podcast is presented by Inns Group. Inns Group Insurance and Risk Management. Inns Group is ensuring success. For more information, go to innsgroup.net. And also by Rose Studios, endurance, strength, and mobility equals perfect fitness. For more information, visit rosestudios.com.